Hi guys, and welcome back to e-commerce experts. Firstly, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who has given us wonderful feedback, likes, commented, or subscribed. Really, really appreciate it. And we've really enjoyed making the series so far. Let's hope that that continues into the future. Also, we've noticed that 96% of you aren't subscribed. So I'm going to be that horrendously cliche person and say, if you haven't subscribed already, click the button below. I really, really appreciate it. It helps us know we're doing the right thing and hopefully helps us make more and more episodes. So without further ado, today's episode are the two kick-ass female founders, Dominica and Elsie of Bybee. For those of you that haven't heard of Bybee, where have you been in the last two weeks? The Met Gala was full of praise for Bybee after Billie Eilish attributed her wonderful glowing skin down to the vegan beauty brand. They are two women who have taken their passion project to the next level, published a book, created a festival, and become an international vegan skincare brand. Honestly, I think the takeaways from this week's episode were different to what I expected, but they give fantastic insights on how to make your brand sustainable, as in how to lobby for the change you want to see in the world, but also how their influencer strategy, this was ironically before Philly Eilish, has helped take their brand to the next level. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, here it is. Um, well, thank you ever so much, both of you, for, for joining me today. We really appreciate it. Um, it's also nice to have two female founders for once. You know, I feel like we've had a few we've had a few men back to back. Then um, we had Whitney from Flowerbox, so it's it's nice to have another group of female founders and actually Generation Z. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, may as well start off with the first question, which is, you know, you went from a clean beauty blog all the way to making products on your kitchen table, which has now turned into an international brand. You know, what, how did you get there? What's the story? <laughs> So, yes, we started with a blog called Clean Beauty Insiders. Um, this was way back, actually, pre Bybee, probably talking like 2013, 2014. Um, Dominica and I were working together in advertising. We joined the same company at the same time in, in very similar roles and like really quickly hit it off as kind of like office BFFs and sort of chatting away um, about everything and anything. And one point of um, kind of common ground that we really had was a shared interest in kind of like wellness, I guess, as a whole, you know, that all encompassing term. So food, fitness, and that scene was really sort of hitting the UK at that point. And for us, the the idea of like making your own beauty products really spanned from making your own food and be, really being interested in that kind of food scene. And a lot of beauty, like even we even see it now, trends tend to stem from the food and drink industry um, and particularly the wellness industry. Um, but we had the kind of thinking of like, why, if we're thinking about everything we're eating, have we stopped to think about everything that we're putting on our skin as, you know, huge beauty junkies who love our skincare and spending loads on it do we even know what goes into it and we went on this kind of journey and wound up at like we don't really understand a lot of what's in these beauty products we probably don't think there's enough in them to actually work and actually have like a, a strong impact on our skin so should we just get in the kitchen and make some of this stuff ourselves using the ingredients that we know are really great for our insides so we built that up and 
actually during that time we were both still working full-time jobs so before we kind of quit and before we even came up with the idea of Bybee we had a a bit of a like journey in terms of working out how we would monetize it so we knew we were onto something because we were building a following and people were interested in what we had to say but we weren't sure whether coming up with a skincare brand was like a bit too obvious so we were like you know, you know, is there another way that we can monetize this? Like, what about, you know, make your own skincare kits that we send to people in their monthly subscription? Like, so we like trialed like the idea of that for a bit. What about events where we teach people how to wait, make their own beauty products? So we dabbled in that for a little bit as well. We even spun off into like making our own natural beauty festival. <laughs> this was again, all as we were working full-time jobs, which is a bit nuts. But what we kept coming back to was just the fact that there was a really clear gap on the shelves of some of our favorite beauty retailers for a great, natural, sustainable beauty brand that could speak to us as mainstream beauty consumers. We were probably trying to be too clever with all of the like spin-off ideas. And actually, there was we felt that there was a gap for a great product brand. So that was really the the sparking the idea of Bybee. But you know, having the blog allowed us to build up a community, build up content, build up an understanding of content and how to engage with the community through content. So that when we landed with the product brand, it was a small community, but they were incredibly engaged. They really helped us, I guess, put together what that brand was and what it stood for and what was important to for us to include for the customer. And yeah, Bybee, Bybee launched 2017. So that was really the product of that time that we spent those years kind of putting together. Oh, also we wrote a book that was published by Penguin. Um, so that was another spin-off. Maybe we'll write books. Maybe we'll be authors. No, let's just make a product brand. I think that's, that's probably where the biggest market is for what we're doing. So Bybee is a sustainable, well, well a carbon, carbon neutral, actual vegan um, skincare line that is stocked worldwide. So that is, that's the journey. That's how we are where we are today. In under four minutes, you've covered books, festivals, and eventually a product line. I think that's a first. That's... <laughs> I like the way you explored absolutely every single avenue, just in case, just in case actually that was the one you wanted to do. I think it speaks of a lot of people who are going through their 20s, trying to work out exactly what they want to do. And it happens that you guys ended up finding Bybee, which which is a beautiful brand. I love that you've got on your backgrounds there that it's pro-planet beauty. I think that's a strong catch line, better than brew dogs. Definitely. Is there <laughs> anything other than you, other than knowing that you wanted to pursue beauty? Is there any other, anything else you wish you'd have known at the beginning of the journey, or were all those avenues actually quite a lot of fun and you enjoyed the deviations? Yeah. What's that phrase? Throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> I think was probably our like mo at that point. Um, no, I think. As in no regrets, I think it was really beneficial we went on the journey that we did because we learned so much. We really spent a long time with our consumer, our potential consumer, really understood her grievances, what she desired, what she was willing to spend her money on, what she was willing to spend her time on. Um, And I think all of those things predating Bybee gave us a lot of credibility and gave us a real kind of head start when we launched the brand as well. You know, we were going into retail meetings and kind of like sliding over a book that was published by Penguin. You know, that's that's profound and it still has a real impact on people. So I think that we will always say that we wish things had happened faster and we would have got to where we are now much, you know, we thought we were going to be here in a year and it's taken four years. And, you know, there's just like a general pace to things that we try and maintain, but, or I guess like put pressure on ourselves to achieve, but, you know, building a brand takes time, building a brand with like real depth layers, longevity, 
actually takes a lot of time and the brands that you see come to market really quickly tend to like leave market really quickly and that's almost like the opposite of what we want to achieve we're trying to build a brand that really has legs and longevity so you know it's all it's all kind of been part of the journey to get to get to where we are in terms of the things that I wish we had known probably just that it's going to be really really hard (laughs) much harder than you could ever comprehend (laughs) and probably more like emotionally draining than you could ever comprehend but equally more amazing and rewarding and fulfilling feeling that you could ever imagine so I just think the extremities of emotions cannot be understood until you truly are like in the shoes of being a founder are you part of like a founders group where you can or does it help actually having each other to lean on because those peaks and troughs are huge and, and everyone always talks about them yeah I think in the past we've like definitely you know we've got a lot lot of founder comrades um that you know we meet up for like a big glass of wine and just you know pour our hearts out and it's just so refreshing when we've all got the same problems as well and you're like okay it's not just like this is just what it's like to run a brand but I think we do have real companionship in one another and we meet a lot of sole founders that are just like oh my god I was just you're so lucky you have each other because you there's no one else that can understand the journey that you're on so you know your partner your significant other your family your even other people within your business can't understand the journey of a founder so um to have a co-founder is you know is is amazing and there should be like more there are forums and there aren't like there are kind of like female founder forums but sometimes those things can feel a bit forced and I think that would be it would be great for like more authentic ways to connect with other brand founders because yeah we are all definitely like on a similar journey definitely you you absolutely are and I, I think it's interesting you talked quite heavily there Dominique, about the brand and about what you were trying to establish what what do you define as the parameters of your brand you know what what is Bybe? Oh, that is a, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) Our brand is incredibly fluid. That's what it is. And it has evolved. So, and that, I will get to answering like what we, what the brand is in just a second, but I think it's important to start with this. When we launched, we quickly, once we decided, we're both like quick decision makers. So I kind of, you know, said that we've gone through this process of deciding, you know, and that was a bit longer deciding what, where the money was essentially and where our passion was and what we were good at and where how, where the kind of business that we thought that we could lead once we decided on that like we, things moved pretty quickly and you know we wanted to launch a product the next day come on let's go fast like we're, that's kind of how we work as as entrepreneurs but we're both quite like fast paced and there's a lot of urgency with the way that we work but of course our manufacturing partners in in the beauty industry um typically the lead times are anywhere between sort of nine to 12 months if you you know want to go from from scratch in terms of launching a, a a brand so what we decided to do in while we were waiting for um our first like run of products to hit to hit the shelves basically was hand make a batch of products in our lab in hackney and go out and, and pitch them to the biggest retailers all of the retailers you see today we went and took a uh, handmade jars of what we called babe balm then but basically the reason i'm telling you that is because um we pretty much launched the brand without really cementing what the brand was we went into this kind of we went out and basically tested the market with the brand with a with a ready launched brand before we did 
a whole load of work on the the overarching brand mission and, and values. We wouldn't we knew them, we were very clear on them, um, but we hadn't necessarily written them down. And that's actually quite unusual in terms of how I, I think every playbook would tell you that if you want to launch a brand, like sit down and put together a big brand book and work with an agency who are going to charge you loads of money and get your tone of voice right and get all of your guidelines together and then launch. But we didn't. We did it the other way around. Um, and actually, you know, I think that was hugely beneficial in, in many ways. We, we got to really test and learn and understand and get sit in front of some of the biggest retailers and, and really know whether this product would land with them or not and this brand would land with them or not. But what it has meant is that we've learned a lot as we've gone along and kind of applied that to the brand and the brand has therefore evolved. So at the beginning, for example, you know, the natural kind of the natural angle was very important to us because we've been experimenting with natural ingredients. But actually what's happened as we've grown the brand is that the sustainability piece has become more of a beating heart of what the brand stands for simply because we learned more about the industry. So the brand has evolved and changed and developed. And I think that that is not necessarily a bad thing. We're very open to change. Like we're, as I said, we we work quickly, but we learn from our mistakes really quickly. We we don't see failure as failure. We see it as a great opportunity to learn. Um, so we've taken the last four years and of all of our learnings and just plowed them into create a brand now. One important thing to just start off by saying is that the brand is many things and it has been a real evolution over the years. And I don't think that you should be afraid of that. The brand now, what is Bybee now? Bybee is... Um, we were thinking about some some words the other day that we think really kind of like describe the brand. And um, there's this word active that I think really like sums up what we do. There's, you know, active, our products are active. They are full of active ingredients, potent ingredients that are actually going to change your skin, that actually have a difference. But we are active in our values and our mission around uh, being a pro-planet brand. You know, it comes into that activism. You know, we're, we're on the verge of almost being an activist brand in the way that we approach our mission around, you know, a, a fight on carbon. So I think like we're a real kind of like active, just, yeah, mission-led brand in in that respect. And then other kind of words that we talk about when we talk about Bybee um, are things like positivity. Like we're really... We're a feel-good brand. Like we're out there to like help you feel good about your skin. We're help, out there to help you get the best skin possible and feel really confident in that. And then there's a word that floats around and internally we hate it. Well, Dominique and I hate it, but everybody uses this this word to describe our brand, which is fun. And we're just starting to get to the point where we're accepting it that actually maybe fun isn't a bad thing. Like we have this element of playfulness to the brand that people really connect and resonate with. And for ages, Dominique and I have said, we're not a fun brand. Like, you know, you can't call yourself fun. That's, that's you know, it's really cringy. But actually, I think we are quite fun. <laughs> I, think, I think we're all of those really hard hitting, you know, active things that I said earlier, we, we deliver that with a, a playful tone. And I think that's what really connects with people and, and really makes people love, love the brand. Really long answer, but hopefully... A good one, a really good one. And actually, the brand is bigger than you two now. So the word fun no longer represents just you two as individuals. It now represents the brand, which is multiple people. You know, it's an entire community. I think what you were saying around how long it took you to actually underpin what your brand is and what your brand values are makes sense because you came out of a blog. You already had a community. You already had a following. And you two as founders already knew what your values were and what the gut of the brand was, so to speak. So I think actually that makes a lot of sense, whereas a lot of other people haven't done that market research. They haven't, they're not communicating with their customers already. And that's why they have to go away and do that, that piece, you know, whether it be agency, whether they do it direct. Yeah. You guys already have that connection yeah. and 
I mean, dare I say it, you're also consumers. You are also in the category of people you're targeting, which isn't always a, an obvious thing, actually. You know, you are the best consumers for your product. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I liked the long answer. So don't feel bad about it. Just one thing I would just say is that actually we've all, always nailed the product. You know, people have always really genuinely loved the product. I think the, the missing part was how we explain to the consumer why they need our products. But once they, they take that leap and buy the products for whatever reason, the products always hit home. And that's why we're still here today, because we create great products. And I think without great products, our, our path could have been different or many, you know, many brands paths could have been different because the consumer really demands great products. But that is something that I firmly believe is that from day one, we've always delivered efficacy, value and high quality products to our consumer. Do you still do your R&D on the kitchen table? I mean, it's not a kitchen table, but it is like a lab bench. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and that is one part that we are absolutely still involved in. And, and to be honest, is one of the most enjoyable parts of our job is like product development. We have a chemist now, which is much better for us because it means that we can deliver really, really innovative and efficacious formulas that, you know, are cutting edge um, and driven by science. But we are still very much there, you know, thinking up concepts, putting things on our hand and our face, you know, seeing how seeing how the product looks, feels, and, and that experience. Because as Elsie said, everything, we want our consumers to always feel good from opening or, you know, picking up our product from the shelf, taking it home, opening the box, and then applying it. That whole process has to be sensory, enjoyable, have moments of surprise and delight. And I think that's what we add to the product development outside of a chemist sitting down and formulating a product. And you state your mission um, the world's first carbon negative beauty brand by 2025. What's your, what's your plan? How are you going to do it? Yeah, it's a great question. One that still makes me a bit nervous. No, we have a very clear methodology in terms of how we're approaching this. And we're working with a fantastic agency that is really, really helping us pull apart our supply chain because it's not just about kind of having supply chain transparency. That's kind of one element to it. It's actually looking at all the microprocessors within your supply chain and looking at where the real hotspots are for carbon. And that is a quite a big exercise because there are loads of processes that you might not think about or suppliers might not communicate to you when they're selling you a raw material or a service. So I think the way that we think about it is we are a consumer brand shipping product around the world. So having zero emissions is not within our reach because for example, distribution at this point, there is absolutely no way to transmit or transport goods around the world that doesn't have an emission attached to it. It's, it's just quite literally impossible. So until there's significant changes in that, as a brand, we will always have emissions. However, we have processes in our supply chain already that absorb carbon. So through primarily raw materials, though it's through a process called sequestration. A great example is our sugarcane material, which we use not only for our packaging, but actually we are including it in more and more raw materials um, in our actual formulations. And actually the growth and harvesting of sugarcane for every one kilo absorbs three kilos of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So that is a net positive result for the atmosphere in that that 
ingredient absorbs more carbon than it releases. We have a number of these different processes throughout our supply chain, particularly through raw materials, as I said. So we use a lot of upcycled ingredients, saving materials that would go to landfill. Everything is powered by green energy. And a lot of our manufacturers now sell solar power back to the grid um, and have a positive net contribution there. So there's just... We we like to think of it as like a balancing of the scales. So for every emission that we have in one area of the supply chain, we're implementing processes to essentially internally offset that emission to the point where our carbon emissions will go down and down and down and down until we're able to solve for actually throughout our entire supply chain, we actually absorb more carbon through our processes than we release. To reiterate, we will always have an emission of some sort because there are processes that are impossible to have as you know a net zero or carbon neutral but we are discovering more and more ways to essentially offset those which is really exciting we're doing some incredibly innovative things and really thinking outside the box working hand in hand with suppliers to remove unnecessary processes from their own supply chains in order to save our own emissions but then obviously having a massive impact on all the other suppliers or customers that they serve as well. You know, a great example of that is us lobbying our manufacturers to change to green energy. It's not just our brand that benefits from that, but actually the 30 other brands that they work with now also have carbon neutral production, which is amazing. Um, So yeah, you know, it's a big, it's a big task um, and where, quite transparent and serious you know my first response to you was I don't know exactly how we're going to get there and I think it's really important to be open and not pretend like we have all the answers but I think at the same time is you know nodding back to what else you said about being an activist is that we have to be bold we have to be brave we have to challenge the norm and we have to try and change the system in some way and actually the system's quite broken If you think about in one beauty product, there can be up to 35, 40 different raw materials from the outer packaging right through to every single ingredient. You know, you can imagine the minefield of trying to unpick a supply chain like that. And in that, you uncover a lot of ridiculous processes that just don't need to happen, but they happen for legacy, they happen for commercial, they happen from laziness, you know, there are all sorts of different reasons. So, you know, it's quite a big endeavor, but we're passionate about improving things, not just for our brand, but for the overall industry and kind of raising raising those table stakes as well. How many people email you after they've spoken to you and say, I've just gone through my entire makeup bag and found out there's this many ingredients in a in a product? Because that's what I want to do. It, my, my bag's over there as well. Like it's in eyesight. And all I want to do now is go and look at the ingredients and, and see exactly what's in it. But actually, I think your answer was really interesting. And I think the fact that actually the activist part is kind of coming out now. And now you've explained that it makes sense why you consider yourself to be activist as part of the industry. And the other brands that are benefiting from your lobbying of the manufacturer should be really thankful. I think it's... And maybe it's a generational thing, but I think the fact that you are taking that as your responsibility is something you don't need to do, but it's, it's absolutely endearing that you have, that you believe that that is part of your responsibility as a brand. Interestingly, this is something that a lot of our brands are going to really love your answer to this, so no pressure, but you work direct to consumer and you work as retail. 
with retailers. So you're stocked in a number of different retailers. That online can be a challenge because there is a, a clash of needs and a clash of requirements. How how have you planned this with your ongoing strategy? You know, what is the priority of sales? Um, I think that we're concerned with finding our customer rather than being too obsessed with the channel with which to reach them on. I think we have to be open in that people's shopping habits are changing one all the time. And, you know, we've seen in the last 18 months a huge shift um, in shopping habits. So as the brand, we have to be open to that because if we had decided to place all of our bets, for example, on physical distribution, you know, we might be in trouble right now. So I think omni-channel, once again, proven (laughs) to be the best strategy um, because you can't predict change in habits because some of those change in habits are forces outside of your control, as we've seen over the past 18 months. Um, I think it's just about making each offering distinct and just being open to finding your consumer wherever they're shopping. Um, So now we look at things like Amazon, because actually Amazon is now the UK's largest retailer. So we would be kind of fools to say we're not going to be available there because we know that our customer is shopping them. So I think Yes, direct-to-consumer for us is a channel and it's an important channel because it's a channel that we can speak to our customer directly and that's not just through a sales mechanism, but if you think about all the things that we stand for, it's a great outlet for us to reach that consumer and get them really passionate about our cause and our mission and also to educate our consumer. So direct-to-consumer is a hugely important channel for us, but we want to, you know, the whole ethos behind our brand is delivering sustainable, affordable skincare to anyone that needs it or wants it. You know, we we want to be accessible to the masses. So therefore, our distribution has to be mass and it has to be um, multi-channel. So I, yeah, I think we're less concerned with the channel and more so concerned with where our consumer is and making sure that we're reaching her. I'm really amazed you dived straight in with Amazon of all the choices you could go for. Does Amazon still fulfill your requirements from a sustainability perspective? No, I think that, I mean, yes and no. I think no retailer fulfills our sustainability initiatives. So to to discount one retailer would, would make us like slightly hypocritical. I think all retailers are trying to make changes. And, you know, there is, you know, an acceptance. We we have a slightly conflicting mission, right, if if we're being honest with ourselves, which is we're trying to deliver things in a sustainable, environmentally conscious way, but we're trying to do it at scale. So, therefore, we're leveraging global distribution and global retailers. And that is... We get asked that question all the time, and it's completely valid. How can you be sustainable when you're shipping goods around the world? And 100% that is a valid a valid question. I think for us, what we're trying to prove is that the, the shelves of Target or the windows of Amazon are a better place with us on the shelves and consumers buying our brand versus another brand. And the conduit at the moment is something we can't control. Um, even our own direct-to-consumer shipping still has an environmental footprint against it. Any sort of distribution does. And you, you can't really say that Amazon is any worse than 
for example, a target in the US. You know, everyone's got their own missions and their own, I guess, endeavors that they're trying to fulfill around sustainability, but for sure, no retailer has cracked it. <laughs> Maybe the local like farm shop has, but no global retailer has. So yeah, it's still something that we grapple with. And again, just try and be honest about because we haven't solved for the for the issue, which is we are hyper consumist as a society. And that's probably the fundamental thing that needs to change more so than us trying to change our packaging to be more sustainable. But I love the honesty. I think the transparency goes a long way. And I think the more honest and transparent you are, the more the consumer will respect you. And also believe that you're doing the right thing because you're not trying to hide anything you're not in denial about the processes that need improving you're not in denial about um as you put it your conflicting uh mission between the two two different elements of mass and sustainability but i think the honesty um as you would see from your success obviously goes a long way and i think it will continue to serve just before we go, we normally ask our guests for a question to ask the next person. So the last guest was Indra from PitPat, which is a dog activity monitor. If you don't know what it is, think Fitbits for your canines. Hilarious product. Um, she asked, what was the most important channel to your success? I would say it's Word of mouth, good old fashioned word of mouth. Um, we know particularly beauty. If you think about the types of conversations that go on around beauty and therefore how I guess how important a word of mouth referral is from like a friend to a friend or you know whoever it might be having that conversation the value of that referral goes an incredibly long way so we know that as a channel the more that we can get people talking about our brand and therefore what kind of spills out of that is then kind of influencer marketing I guess which is a form of word of mouth but the key there is that it has to be really genuine so actually where we do really well with influencer marketing is with micro um, influencers who genuinely love the brand who have tried the product who are not just paying for a single post who are re-engaging and who have very very engaged communities so they're essentially acting like that peer-to-peer kind of referral that they're over social rather than it being in in real life but yeah I would say that is one really strong um kind of channel for us and the other is sampling actually you know we mentioned earlier how important or how good our products are (laughs) just to dig our own horn but they are good and people have to try them to really believe it so getting as many products into as many people's hands as possible and again that that plays out in influencer marketing so our influencer strategy is really like go wide with gifting as well as kind of like paid partnership laid on top of that. But that also manifests itself in just like sampling with customers, sampling in store where we can, always taking advantage of sampling opportunities with our retailers, just constantly giving like wherever we go, the two of us, when when we could meet in real in real life. Well, I guess we can meet in real life now, but you know, like pre-pandemic, we'd just have like a massive bags of products with us. Any meeting, didn't matter who it was with. Like it would literally be like, oh, and by the way, like here's Mate, we should have done this face to face. Yeah, I know you're missing out, Hannah. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> you're gonna have a package. On- oh, you- <laughs> and by the way, Elsie, if you don't shoot your own horn, no one else is gonna toot it for you. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? We are really guilty of not tooting our own horn enough. I would, I feel like it might be a British thing, but we. Completely. I was about to say it's a very un British thing to do, but yeah. Luca, our CEO, is Italian. And so 
he almost gives me license to do it. Like, yeah. and, and I, you, I almost need to be given that license in order to feel comfortable doing it. And I imagine being British and it's your own brand, you kind of feel like, oh no, I shouldn't be, shouldn't be saying yeah. this, even though we are. Yeah, exactly. You feel uncomfortable, but actually, you know what? Our products are great. Um, so there, there I go. Toot, 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 toot. But <laughs> yeah, it's. I think as founders as well, you have to have the confidence to do it we 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 always have the this thing where we'll see other brands kind of like talking about something that we've been doing for years and we feel like oh god like come on we've been but you know what we're just not shouting about it as loud as they are that's that's often the thing so we're we are both it's our mission at the moment to try and toot louder so there you go <laughs> i will make sure i toot when this goes live <laughs> to, to. Um, okay and last question what's your favorite brand right now in e-commerce other than Vibe? obviously that would be the number one i know one thing that we're both fans on which is uh, fans of which is fashion rental which i think fulfills both of our desires to be more conscious consumers but also have loads of great interchangeable clothes to wear um so i think the fashion rental model is amazing so i will give two shout outs um one is to on loan who are a fellow female founded business um who do amazing collections um and amazing service and then also another business that is specifically for pregnancy and postpartum called um for the creators which was created by a friend of ours called Lindsay. it's also an amazing business but i think fashion rental is just an amazing e-commerce model and just really just ticks so many boxes for what we um, need to achieve as a society really i love it it's really interesting that one of the founders we've had on prior is nikolai who mentioned whirly the ones where you oh, drive yeah. to toys. We're big fans of Whirly. It's it's uh, funny how the the founders almost have their own network of brands that they specifically use because the same ones keep reappearing or the same kind of industry and, and themes come through. Yeah, there's another great one called Bundley who do rental kids clothes. We both just have babies, by the way, which is why Whirly is like like yeah, really useful. Um, but yeah, kids clothes, they grow out of them so quickly. So uh, yeah, give a shout out to Bundley for the, the rental stuff also. I love that also, idea. I think there are some amazing e-coms brands who are like um, really like revamping old weird industries that would never normally be an e-coms industry, like small, schmoll. I always want to say it like this, schmoll, but it's not. I think it's just small. <laughs> like how the hell, how do you get a hundred thousand followers on Instagram as a, a laundry detergent brand? Like that is, that's pretty impressive. Uh, for paints, yes. <laughs> I completely am with you. Like there are a couple that have just entered the market and just changed them completely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you both ever so much for bearing with the internet connection issues, but also uh, coming on today. Oh. That's me. That's my bad. I'm sorry that you've had to bear with my internet connection issues. Not at all. I live in North. <laughs> 